to a recording error. Several minutes of this week's message are missing from the recorded audio. We pick up Pastor Rob's message in progress. See, but there's this guy, Paul, who has a passion and a pattern, and he doesn't make it complicated. In fact, he just follows the pattern of Jesus. In, in Philippians, um, let me make sure I get the reference right. But in Philippians chapter three, verse 17, Paul says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. See, I believe that there is a pattern that Jesus puts down in scripture, and it's his first best and only plan to pass on a faith to save the world. Yes, he gives his life and his death on the cross, and that's hugely important. But in John 17, verse four, he says, before he dies, Heavenly Father, I've completed the work you've gave me to do. And he hadn't died on the cross yet. So that work must have been something else. And I would submit to you that the work, his first best and only plan is to pass on a faith through a pattern that he gave to give the disciples the power to live out God's spirit and to live into God's plan and to pass on that faith to others. And then those people, you know what they did? They actually thought, even though they were ordinary everyday people, you know what? We have this ordinary pattern from Jesus that's really not that hard. I think we could pass on this faith to someone else. This is what it means to know the words of Jesus. And this is what it means to live the way of Jesus. And this is what it means to do the work of Jesus. So here, come. And to those people, you know what they did? They, they said yes to this faith. And they experienced God's power. And then they started practicing this pattern and passing on this faith. And guess what happened? All of a sudden, it's 2016 and we still have the pattern. And this, out legacy, this legacy just kept going because people actually believed as ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus that they had everything they needed to share this faith with other people. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that the thing that will transform this city and any city like it is if ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus, people like you and me, which I know some of you think of me as a professional Christian, but Jesus is not referring to people like me right now. He is, if you're putting me in that category, ordinary, everyday people practicing this everyday pattern of passing on a faith. If we did that, friends, this city and anyone like it would be transformed because your neighbors would see a difference. The people around you, your coworkers would see a difference. The people that that you have trouble with would see a difference. And all of a sudden, they would start to catch the power and the pattern that you are passing on. And all of a sudden, they would start to learn the words of Jesus. They would start to live the way of Jesus. They would start to do the works of Jesus. And this would spread like a virus, a good virus. So what do we see? If you're willing to go there with me, what do we see? How do we see Jesus actually do this? Now, when we talk about disciples, this is just my definition um, and I used, I can kind of combine some sources, but trying to keep things simple and remember that we can all hold about three things. So this is what I would say a disciple of Jesus is. It's someone who has learned and now knows the words of Jesus, who lives the way of Jesus and their values and their character and their decision-making, but ultimately does the works of Jesus. 
And you might think, well, Jesus was God, so how am I going to do that? Well, we'll go there in a moment. But there's this pattern that I see that really is the how do we pass on our faith to someone else. And the first step is this. Jesus calls it stage one or come and see. It's the stage of come and see. He says it so clearly in John's gospel in John 1 when Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist points out, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and two of his followers start following Jesus. John 1, 37, two of his disciples heard this. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned around asked nicely, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? Like, we want to spend time with you. That's what they're asking. And he says, come and see. And the text says that they spent the rest of the afternoon and evening together. That would have been around sunset. That would have been dinner. That would have been time, story time together because they didn't have TV. So in this culture, they had story time. And everybody gathered And the elders, usually the men and sometimes the women, would tell these stories of faith. And they are sitting and they are experiencing Jesus' words. They're experiencing his relationship with God. And they're kind of impressed by his relationship with God. I would say they they are... They are, they are kind of marveling at his love for God, but even more so, they are, they are flabbergasted, they are impressed with his love for people. It's one thing to love God. It's another thing to love us crazy, broken people out there, and Jesus is doing both. And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, this guy has something. This is the come and see. Paul says it like this in verse 10. After he talks about these people that he's not supposed to have anything to do with, he actually gives him something to do. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, which would be his beliefs. And you know my way of life. You know how I behave. And you know my purpose. You know what I'm about. And you know my faith. You know my relationship with God, my confidence and dependence in Jesus. You know know about my patience this non-anxious presence in the midst of whatever comes my way. You know about my love. This isn't just uh, the brotherly love, the phileo. This isn't just the uh, family affection love, this, this I will protect you. Um, the Greeks called it the storge love. This is the unconditional, sacrificial, agape love of God that merely, the agape means from the heart. It merely means that I will love you purely because you exist. Think about that, that this human being named Paul is able to show this unconditional, sacrificial love to, yes, Timothy, but to those that he meets. This is a love that, that we can't do on our own because when we love someone like that, you know what we want to say? I know what I want to say after I've done the dishes for two weeks and I've emptied the dishwasher at 6.15 in the morning. I want to say, like, do you see that? Uh, see, I'm doing it. And my wife goes, I got nothing. Y- you should do that because you love me. But that's, the agape love. That's this love that says, regardless of what you do, or how unkind you are, how unresponsive you are, or how inconsiderate or unworthy you are, I will love you. Because you exist. Because you're precious. Because I delight in you. That's the kind of love that Paul has experienced 
personally from Jesus, and he is exposing his followers to the joy of knowing God personally. That's what Jesus was doing when he says, come and see with those two followers of Jesus, and that's what I think Jesus is asking us to do when we get to the come and see stage with people. If we want to pass on our faith, we've got to expose them to the joy of knowing God personally, and it starts with putting your life out in front of people. Even, even the hard stuff. I mean, Paul just doesn't stop at love. He says endurance, persecution, sufferings, the kinds of things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Lystra is where Timothy was from, so he would be very familiar with the persecutions that Paul endured there when he got stoned, and that meant rocks thrown at his head. Paul potentially, or Timothy potentially saw that happen to Paul. Bloody, bruised, beaten, and then unconscious. They thought he was dead. It's very possible that his mother and his grandmother prayed for Paul outside the city, dead. It's possible that Timothy saw him open his eyes, get up, and say, let's split, let's rock and roll. No, I'm just kidding. Bad pun. No, he said, we're going back in. We're going back into that city. That is the joy of knowing God personally. It doesn't mean everything's easy. It doesn't mean you're always happy. It means that I have a complete confidence in God and naturally and normally, however that looks for your personhood, however that looks for your personality, however that looks for your gifts, that you just share that with other people. That's what Paul did and he's able to ultimately say, you know what, the Lord rescued me from it all. Verse 12, the Lord rescued me from it all. See, he said in the first letter, Timothy, here's the solid truth. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. See, when you know the depth of the love, the sacrificial, unconditional love that the Savior has for you, not because of anything you do, but simply because you exist, and you know that in spite of everything you do, that he still would die for you, I think that transforms your life. That's what come and see is about. That's why it's worth spending a lot of time on it. Because for some of us, it's not that we're afraid to share our faith. It's just that we don't know how to show other people the fact that God absolutely, unconditionally accepts us and is crazy about us. How, how easy is it for you to accept that kind of love from God? How easy is it for you to share that kind of love from God? And how easy is it for you to show the joy of that kind of love that God has for you and the person you're with? This is what it means to practice the pattern of passing on our faith. Stage one, come and see. Expose people to the joy of knowing God personally. Stage two, Jesus says, follow me. He says it in John 1, 41, right after, or very shortly after this experience of John's two disciples. It says, the next day, Jesus is walking by the shore. He sees Philip and he says, come, follow me. Listen to what I say. See how I walk. See what I do. And there's this invitation and challenge to follow and learn and practice. How it comes out for Paul is 
that he says in verse 12, Timothy, like the Lord rescued me from it all, but everyone who wants to live a godly life is going to be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you continue in what you've learned and become and what you've become convinced of because you know from whom you've learned it. How from infancy you've known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. There's a learning component in this follow me. There's an experience component in this come and see. Paul sees Timothy and he sees what the gifts that might be in him. And he starts to call those things out and he starts to develop those. He starts to challenge him though, especially in the places that he needs to grow. See, when you come to follow me, you start to earn the right to be heard that you don't just get to call out and cultivate people's strengths, but you also are given the privilege and I think the responsibility of confronting flaws. Proverbs says, a a, a brother is one who can speak the, sh- the tough words. Do you have opportunities to confront flaws? Certainly with the people that are closest to you, which might be your friends, they might be your kids, they might be your roommates. But cultivate strengths, call those things out too. There's a ton of encouragement that happens in this one. Paul says it to Timothy this way in chapter one, he says, don't, or chapter, in the first letter, chapter four, don't neglect the spiritual gifts that you were given when we laid our hands on you, Timothy. There's this, there's this thought of, you know, you've been given something, and in the second letter, he says, fan into flame in first chapter, fan into flame the gift that God's given you. You can do this, Timothy. There's a building up, there's an encouragement, there's an invitation to more, but there's the challenge too, and some people step back from that. But if you want people to experience the power and the presence of God, you've got to invite them to follow you, to see the power and presence of God in your life, and to be willing to have them experience that. And that's the second stage of passing on this faith. That's the second stage of this everyday pattern, is follow me, and we expose people to the power and presence of God, because it does transform. But there's also the challenge. It's even clearer, the challenge is even clearer in the third stage of this pattern where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We don't really know what fishers of men means too often, but it's simply this invitation to join Jesus' work. Stage three is to join Jesus' work and he invites and challenges the people to do that in his life. In fact, in Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so we need to pray to the Lord to ask him to send more workers. The very next verse says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. Well, that's, that's what Jesus had been doing for at least a year up to this point at least a year, maybe even a year and a half. They've been watching him drive out demons. They've been watching him heal people. They've been watching him get rid of sickness and disease. And now he says, your turn. You can do this. I've built you up. I've encouraged you. I've called out your strengths. I've cultivated your strengths. I've developed your strengths. And now it's your turn to join in this work. I'm not just going to send you all all by yourself, but join in the work. In fact, he often tells them to do the work before they feel ready to do the work. 
If you've ever had a boss that hasn't delegated very well and you've been a little bitter about it, guess what? Jesus did that too. It's time for us to get over it. <laughs> he, he says, go and do this. And they come back and they're like, hey, this worked, but this didn't. It's brilliant, right? Motivated learners. As soon as you know what you can't do and what you can do, all of a sudden there's this interest and this willingness to learn. And Jesus does that. Paul says it this way when he says to Timothy, like, here are these people that you have nothing to do with, but here's what you need to do. You need to continue in this way. He says, and here's your tool. You know the scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation, but here's what you got to remember, Timothy. As you join in this work, that all scripture, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, that God spoke it, God inspired it. In fact, God still speaks it. It's God-breathed and useful for teaching It's useful for correcting or rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the people who belong to God, so that the servants of God are equipped for every work that could possibly come from God. This is what you gotta do, Timothy. You gotta teach, you gotta instruct, you gotta correct, you gotta rebuke, but you're training people in the way to be right with Jesus. And the spirit of God and the word of God has given you everything you need to do that. So join in the work. And that's what we're invited to do. Regardless of our vocation, we are invited to join Jesus' work of passing on something that will last forever. Forever. And so if you want to do this, stage three, join the work. What does that look like? You need to expose people to the thrill of being used by God. You expose people to the thrill of being used by God and all of a sudden they realize, oh, you don't have to be a professional Christian to do that. We were building our ministry center where we have our offices and we do some during the week stuff and about two months in, we're finally to the painting stage and we had some high schoolers that were helping paint a very very significant room and somebody overheard one of them or maybe both of them, but one of them saying, you know, if we were in any other church, we wouldn't get to do this because it'd have to be done by a professional or it'd have to be done by an adult. But before Restoration was even born as a church, myself and some people in our core team said, you know what? Age, gender, and status are not gonna be the top three things that we ask when when we are saying, God, we need people to join in this work. In fact, faithfulness, availability, teachability, those are gonna be the things that we're gonna talk about. We're gonna ask questions about people's hearts. We're gonna ask questions about people's character. We're gonna ask questions about people's gifts. But those are gonna be the questions that we're gonna ask way before we ask the other ones. Because we think anyone that is an ordinary, everyday, willing, and right-hearted follower of Jesus can participate in God's work. Way beyond just what we do here. Out there, that's where the real work is. Because there's a lot of people who have their selfie sticks and their social media and they're looking at their screens and and we need it. Workers are few. So the last stage of this everyday pattern of making and multiplying disciples is to go bear fruit. Jesus says it in John 15, 16 this way. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will give me. I've always wondered about what the fruit terminology means and I got around enough like 
Christian people that knew the Bible that just kept using the word that all of a sudden I went, oh, I don't really get it anymore, but now it's okay to use it. And then I got, I got to be with some people where I think I figured it out. See, back in Genesis 1, when God's creating the world, on day three, he says, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on all the land that will bear fruit. What does it say? Can you see it there? Fruit with seed in it. Fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And then it was so. And what did he do? He put all kinds of plants, all kinds of vegetation, all kinds of trees. And what did they do? They grew up from the ground and they made leaves and branches and then they grew fruit and it had seeds in it. And when that fruit fell or when it was eaten, those seeds got planted. They grew up in the ground. They grew trees. They grew branches. They grew leaves. They grew fruit that had seeds in it. And those fell. And they, I mean, in the very creation of the world, this multiplication and abundance was evident because we have this good God and he put seeds in us. And he didn't just put reproductive seeds in us. I believe that he put the spirit of God and the image of God in us that has seeds in it that come forth. And so going and bearing fruit is all about pouring seeds of future life into people because it's not up to us. We can only do our part. Ultimately, the spirit of God has to be what brings these seeds to life. And God says and promises that those are the seeds that will last. What does it look like for you and I to pour seeds of future life into people? Well, Paul said it like this after he says that he's totally equipped for this good work, right? He says, therefore, in the presence of God and of the living and the dead and in view of God's mercy and his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Well, we had a good Sunday. We'll see you next week. No, not exactly. In view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy, that, that, that you should love your neighbor and, and give your offering. Oh, he says, I give you this charge, Timothy. Do the works that I've done. Preach the word in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage, train. Because these people that are all over your church and all in the world, they're called consumers and entertainers and they've infiltrated all these churches and now we just wonder what we can get but not what we can give. And we can't pass on that kind of faith. And so he says in verse five, of chapter four. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all your duties in ministry. See, if we wanna be people that pass on the faith, we've learned this pattern, I encourage you, yes, memorize this pattern. It's not hard. It's the same pattern that I've been learning for the last 15 or 16 years, and it was so easy to do in youth ministry, probably because it was simple, and somehow it gets complicated with adults. I don't know, maybe we're complicated people. Maybe I made it too much like golf. Come and see. Follow me. Join the work. Go bear fruit. And if you want to go bear fruit, what you need to do is you need to just pour seeds of future life into people. Give them that kernel of eternal truth, that spirit and power of God, that presence of God. And he says, discharge all of it. Timothy, don't get to the end of your life and wonder what else you could have done. That's called regret. 
when people sit on their deathbed. And it's one thing to regret not being able to pass on a house or a farm or money. It's another thing to say, I got to the end of my life and I didn't share the most important thing in my life, the one thing that will last far beyond eternity, a relationship with Jesus. So what does it look like to discharge all those duties? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like, and then we're done, when I tell you what it does. In high school, I was on the cross-country team, and it took me a long time to make it to varsity. In fact, I finally made it my sophomore year, and I was pretty excited, and I got to the regional meet that we had, a, we had a decent shot at going to state, and I got sick, like cramping four-day stomach flu, and I missed the race. I spent the whole next year, every practice, training for that race. And I beat my time by 30 seconds faster than I've ever done it before. We still didn't make it to state, but we were pretty close. And so our senior year, this is what we talked about. This is what we trained for. This is what we did. And we got to that race, and my coach said, leave it all in the course, boys. Discharge all of it. And at the end of my senior year of that last race, with a legitimate shot at going to state, I beat my time by 30 seconds more than the previous time. And that wasn't the point. The point was I got to the end of the race, I crossed the line, and I knew there was not one ounce that I'd left in my reserve. It all came out. Everything. I could stand up today and say, 20 years have gone by. And I get emotional about it because I know that I left everything on the course. And that's, that's not th- what we're talking about. That's not ministry. That's a silly race that has no eternal value except for the friendships that I built and the people that poured seeds of life into me and those that I got to pour in. That's the fact that my best friend asked me the very next year what I had that was different than him and I stumbled through sharing my faith and he lives with faith. He passed it on to his wife. He passed it on to his kids. He now coaches a swim team and those kids get to experience the love of God, the work of Jesus and the power of Jesus working through him because I simply was obedient and that's not about me because I stumbled through it. It shouldn't have been. There were just seeds of future life that were poured out. Those are the things, friends, that we pour out that we don't have to do perfectly because God loves us perfectly and God loves that person that you are with perfectly. So what does it look like for you to pour out the duties that doesn't look like running a race? It does look like asking the Spirit of God every day, how can I pass on your blessing, your goodness, and your love to that person you have in front of me. And as you do that, God will be faithful. The world will be transformed and the faith will pass on. We pray with me? God, I thank you for Mr. Knutsvig and Mr. Haas, my coaches and my FCA leader, who passed on more than a love of running, more than just a love and a joy of knowing God personally, they actually passed on the power and presence of God to my life, and I thank you so much for it, God. Now I I ask your Holy Spirit for the people that know you to bring up and remember those people that have passed on a faith, 
bring up and remember the power and the presence that you've worked in the past. And Lord, if we can't, I pray that you would work right now. And wherever each of us are at, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would receive your seeds of life the truth of your gospel, that you died for us, that you love us, that you accept us, and that you call us to be your people, to practice your pattern, and to pass on your faith, and that we would actually believe that we could do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, if you are a graduate, uh, congratulations. I see some of you out there, and it is a big accomplishment. It's a huge accomplishment. I think some of you are just excited to not have to read an academic book for a little while, like maybe actually get to read something of for enjoyment, but you get to be finished with that work. The work that Jesus calls us to, first and foremost, is a joyous work. And secondly, it's never done. Imagine our, our teachers, our, our people who graduated with a teaching degree, if they just said, we're done. We don't have to use it anymore. The goal of building the kingdom here, that song is this idea that we take what God has given us, we build onto it in a way that it passes on to others. And the joy of seeing a teacher who's been poured into, who then becomes a teacher and sees someone else become a teacher to pass that on is an amazing thing and it can change a life. But the work of Jesus that all of us are invited to is to change eternity. So go in the hope, the power, and the presence of God that you are eternity changers. And join us for cake on the way out. Make a new friend. Have a great Sunday.